Don't tell me not to forget because then I'll, the only thing I'll be able to do is forget. It's, it's like, don't think of pink elephants. And instead of saying, don't think of them, say, you know those pink elephants we were talking about? Can you put a bow on their tails? But I, I probably, I won't forget. No. Yep, that is my mom. I'm your host, Rebecca Garza-Bortman, and this is Advice for Mom. On this show, we explore life's twists and turns, thanks to letters sent in by our listeners. And today's letter comes from a listener who signs his letter, In Memory of My Man. It's a bit of a heavy show. I gotta warn you right up front. We're gonna talk about a subject that likely we will all experience at some point in our lives. But it seems like no one really wants to talk about until they absolutely have to. We're talking about the loss of a loved one. It's an issue that we we don't often talk about. I mean, you know, people go to funeral homes and they go to memorial services and stuff, but, you know, there, there's not too much well, anyway, it's limited in terms of how much we really grapple with the issue and talk about the issue. And in the case of today's letter writer, we're talking about the loss of his soulmate. So for you, in memory of my man, I want to offer my love and support in the best way I know how through a podcast. And that is by collecting advice for you. Starting with the advice of the wisest woman I know, my mom, Dr. Elizabeth Skibinski-Bortman, psychologist and family therapist. And I really hope that her words help you. We're still going to be playing mother-daughter pickleball, and you will notice I am less coy than usual with my mom, but I still want to make sure that she tells you all the important information she needs to tell you. And then we're going to hear from an amazing woman whose life was transformed by her own incredibly traumatic loss. So before we get into it, I just want to remind everyone that this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended for diagnosis or treatment of any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. Let's dive right in. Here is our question. Dear Mama B, I met David in Seattle when I was 27. We shared an enthusiasm for the Pacific Northwest, and we quickly became inseparable. We moved to California together and set up our home in San Francisco and got a dog. David proposed to me on Christmas morning. We bought a home in Seattle and moved back and started preparing for our married life together. Within several months, David was diagnosed with cancer. We married in the hospital in July of 2016. I was 32 and David was 33. David passed away November 2016. His last days were spent peaceful with his sister, his parents, 
and me, his husband, by his side. Countless friends supported him through his courageous battle. David had a life filled with love, adventure, and achievement that ended too soon. Six months after David passed away, the grief was nearly constant. He was the first thing on my mind waking up and the last thing I thought of before bed. Every moment in between, I found myself thinking about the amazing times we had together and sobbing regarding the pain that I had watched him endure. A year and a few months have passed and the tears and waves of emotion come less frequently now. While I certainly still grieve for his loss and have rough days and even weeks, I feel a shift, a change in my grieving processes. I find myself caught off guard and even guilty when I catch myself not actively thinking of David. It's the moments when I realize that I haven't worn my wedding band in a couple days, or that I haven't lit the yurtzeit candle recently, that I feel a different kind of sadness. I'm actually sad I'm not grieving as intensely as I used to. My question has two parts. How do I manage the grief about grief? It seems like a paradox to me. I want to continue the self-reflection, self-work, and recovery. But at the same time, a part of me wants to hold on to this intense part of grief because it's, in an odd sense, comforting. It brings me close to David. What are the ways I should honor David's memory that don't invoke a desire to hold on to this grief? I sometimes feel guilty for not feeling completely depressed. And in those moments, I'd like to be gentle on myself and do something to continue to feel close to him while allowing myself to move on and live my life as I know David would want me to. Signed, In Memory of My Man. Okay, here is advice for my mom. Thank you so much for this heartfelt question. It's a really important question, and you wrote it in such an articulate way. And if it's okay with you, hopefully, instead of calling you in memory of my man, I'd like to call you David's mate. It seems like a very appropriate way to describe you and to connect with you on this question. So by sending us this question, you're acknowledging your pain, and definitely that's the first step toward healing, or in your case, I think, continued healing. So this loss that you've had, I believe, turned your world upside down. We all understand that grief and loss are part of everyone's life, but each of us experiences it differently. So, of course, we all have some preconceived notions of how we should grieve. Emphasis on the word should. Aren't there rules about everything in our society? But it doesn't really matter whether those preconceived notions come from other people or uh, if they come from within ourselves. The guilt and disappointment with ourselves 
over trying to grieve in the way that we should grieve can definitely add an extra burden to suffering. But amazingly, some of the things that you wrote in your question, I reread it and I realized that um, you've already found your very own preferred path forward, I believe. And I think my job is to underline certain aspects of that and to reassure you that it sounds to me like a real good method. So let me explain a little further. You said, I felt a shift, a change in my grieving process. Well, that's very normal. The grieving process will definitely change over time. And it's a good sign that you noticed that shift. You further say, I'm actually sad. I'm not grieving as intensely as I used to. So I want to say you are a very good observer of your own inner workings. And you have excellent insight. But other people's suggestions are not going to be useful to you. What you need to find is your own preferred path forward. And I'm suggesting that you just continue on the path that you're already on. Our path must be suited to our own needs and wishes and preferences. And of course, as I've said, each person's grief is unique. Later, you ask the question, how do I manage the grief about grief? Wow. And you say, it seems like a paradox to me. I want to continue the self-reflection, the self-work, and the recovery. But at the same time, a part of me wants to hold on to the intense part of the grief because it's in an odd sense comforting to me. It brings me close to David, which is all very normal and natural. But the two things, the wanting to move on and the wanting to hold your closeness to David, those two things are not mutually exclusive. You later give, I think, an answer to your own question in the next paragraph. You say, I'd like to be gentle on myself and do something to continue to feel close to him while allowing myself to move on and live my life as I know David would want me to. So there I have, there you have, what I would call an excellent model for how best to grieve. And the most important words that you've said are, be gentle on myself. Uh, to put it simply, listen to your own inner voice on this. I very much like to remind people to be gentle. And sometimes as a couple might be leaving a session with me uh, and they've been fighting a lot, high tension, high conflict, I say to them, be gentle with each other. And it almost always brings a smile to their face because it's the exact opposite of what they've been in the past. So as you may know, David's mate, of course, you, you know that there's always traditional talking therapy. Uh, if you do decide to go that route, make sure you find a specialist in grief counseling because it is a specialty. The second thing I could su suggest for you is 
get support. It doesn't matter exactly how you get that support, but it's important that you feel emotionally safe with either a group or people or a person, um, whoever it is, you must feel really comfortable with them and able to be yourself. And another idea is to create your own grieving rituals. So for example, you could set aside one day a month to remember your love for David. It doesn't matter if you work on a scrapbook of photos or if you light a yardside candle and listen to sad music, or some people create a shrine to commemorate the person who is gone. One more idea, this may be for you, it may not be for you, but uh, some people have plunged themselves into a kind of activism after losing a loved one. I'm remembering my niece who had only been married a year or two and her husband was shot down. He was a pilot in Iraq, right at the beginning of the Iraq War. And her way of coping with that was to go to Africa and work with women who had lost their mates. Her work with them was very, very, very rewarding, and it helped her get through a very difficult time. So I, I'm simply inviting you to trust your gut, trust that whatever methods you pick or you continue to use, those will be the right choice for you. So that inner voice is very smart and it leads you in a good direction. So, Rebecca, your turn to talk to me about this somber question. That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for Mother Daughter Pickleball. Before we get to the match, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Yoga Glow. Yoga Glow. Yoga Glow. Would you like to know how long Mama Bee's been meditating? I have been meditating for 35 years. I also want to learn, but I've been hesitating. Guess where we can both go when our brains need a vacation? Online to Yoga Glow and take a class on meditation. Yoga Glow is your place for online yoga and meditation with literally thousands of classes, 448 classes on meditation alone. And these are classes from the world's best instructors at every skill level. So advanced meditators like Mama B and newbies like me can both find classes that work for us. And it's just $18 a month. That's less than a single class at a yoga studio. Get your first two weeks of Yoga Glow free when you sign up at yogaglow.com slash pickleball. That's yogaglo.com slash pickleball for two weeks free, yogaglo.com slash pickleball. Let's play Mother Daughter Pickleball. 
This is a heavy one. It really, really is. It's a universal issue. Yeah. I'm really glad you mentioned therapy because I think there are many, many problems in the world that are too big for a podcast. And I think if this was the only resource, um, it would be much more difficult. When I was reading through it, I was thinking about what a trauma. I can't even imagine watching the love of your life die. Mm-hmm. And thinking of the resources that that I know that you have, <laughs> that you're an expert in, I was thinking about the type of therapy that helps people get over traumas. I know it was first used after the Oklahoma City bombing to help victims who had experienced the trauma of living through a bombing. Yes, Rebecca, yes. Um, and I know it's been used since for many other traumas. Yes, yes, yes. Could you tell our listeners a bit about the therapy technique you do called EMDR? Yes. Okay, where to start? So briefly, when a trauma occurs, all of the sights and sounds and feelings and thoughts that the person is having at that moment, those all of those things get embedded into the person's body into their mind and their soul and their body. So for example, let's say uh, at the moment a woman is being raped, there is a certain song playing. And then let's say a year later, after the rape, that woman hears that same song again. And all the thoughts and feelings and physiological experiences that she had at that moment can very well come flooding back into her mind and body. What we do with a client who comes in with a trauma is that we use this technique, and this technique opens up that person's nervous system all over again. And our technique allows that person to heal. The main effect is um, to help the healing process go faster. So um, it's truly an amazing technique. I don't know if I've done it justice just now, but... um, Yeah, I think if In Memory of My Man is intrigued, uh, we will provide many resources for him and any other listeners who are interested Uh, There's a a wealth of knowledge about this. Thank you for explaining it. I've never heard it explained in that way, Mom. But I guess the follow-up question I have that might be harder for people to Google or find in links afterwards Mm -hmm. is I know it's oftentimes EMDR is used when there is an immediate trauma. But what about this kind of slow, multi-month trauma that David's maid experienced? Oh, absolutely. I think this is an excellent example to address what you're talking about. Um, A lot of the Vietnam vets who came back had therapy for years and years and years, different kinds of therapy. Many of them were willing to try things and so forth. And, And yet a lot of them were still so dysfunctional, were having so much trouble. And then um, when EMDR came along, 
uh, they began to use it with Vietnam vets. And a lot of them made dramatic recoveries and then started almost like a new life where they were getting new jobs, um, working out problems in their relationships, uh, maybe starting new businesses, um, all kinds of changes, stopping using drugs and alcohol or reducing that, not beating their wives anymore, uh, all kinds of really important changes. And uh, it's, it's all very well documented. It's remarkable stuff. Well, then I'm really excited that we mentioned this resource, um, especially uh, getting to interview you, Mom, who has performed it and has seen firsthand the success that it can have. Yeah, yeah. I I know that we need to add that it isn't like some magic fix. You don't just go in and you're cured. But you only do it with clients that you have like an established relationship with, right? Because it is kind of emotionally risky. Well, it can be for some people, um, especially people who were severely traumatized or repeatedly traumatized. Yeah. So my policy is to do a kind of a traditional talking therapy for quite a while until um, we get to know each other very, very well and that that person feels the trust that they would need to feel in order to feel secure that um, even if they're having a little bit of an emotional disturbance during the process, that um, I will take care of them. And then there's a a number of other things that we do to protect against, um, you know, people feeling worse rather than better. So, uh, yeah, it's a complicated set of things. I just didn't want us to pose it as like, you know, the the elixir to fix everything. <laughs> well, it I get a lot of, a lot of phone calls and people say, uh, can you do EMDR on me? Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like, um well, maybe eventually and but they it's like want kinda, it. Yeah. That's kinda like asking, mm-hmm. can you do yoga on yourself? I I guess you could do yoga on yourself, but it's more about uh, partaking in a practice of yoga. Right, right. How's that for analogies? (laughs) It's 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 really uh, pretty valid. Yeah, Uh, there are a lot of things like that that you you know it's a uh, a negotiation and it's a sometimes a lengthy process. Um, And sometimes like rural Pennsylvania, you should probably say, "Can you do Zumba on yourself?" (laughs) <laughs> That's probably more popular than yoga. I don't know. I don't think Zumba's particularly popular in this Jazzercise? area. Can you do jazzercise on yourself? <laughs> okay. I pass on that one, Rebecca. Okay, fine. Hey, but I made you laugh on— You did. Yeah. I mean, this— whew. Okay. All right. In memory of my man— I am so excited for the second opinion that I collected for you. And I'm also really excited because, um, well, her name is also Rebecca. Sorry for the confusion. She didn't want to go by Becky. Neither of us wanted to go by Becky. So you're just going to have to deal with two Rebeccas. But That's okay. uh, Her name is Rebecca Sofer, and she is this incredible woman. Uh, You're going to hear in her advice 
a bite-sized bit of her incredible amount of incredibleness. But I will say to you, Mom, that I thought this is like the perfect juxtaposition for your advice today Mm -hmm. because Rebecca really wanted me to emphasize to people that she is not a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. And I feel good because we just gave some real thorough mental health professional advice here. So to complement that with someone who experienced a really traumatic passing of both of her parents Mm. within a four-year period and then met a friend who had also experienced a very traumatic loss of her parents. And they started this amazing website called Modern Loss that features stories of people who have lost loved ones and kind of head-on deals with the fact that we live in a culture that stigmatizes death and finds it to be such a taboo to talk about how you heal from the passing of a loved one. Yeah. And they do it with such beautiful elegance and Mm. humor, you know, like the idea Mm -hmm. that you can bring humor to such a, a sad drab topic, you know? Yeah. 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 Wow. So if I were to call you Becca instead of Rebecca, uh-huh. Yeah. Would that work? Sure. Should I be Becca for the the rest of this episode so that we can differentiate from Rebecca Sofer of Modern yeah. Loss? Sure. Now, Becca signing off. Here is Rebecca Sofer of Modern Loss. Hello in memory of my man. First of all, I'm so sad to hear about David. What a terrible loss to go through and at the age of 33 for him when he died. That's something that nobody <laughs> imagines is going to happen to to them and their partner when they're in their late 20s, just when they're starting their lives together. So I've looked at your questions, and I want to address both of them. Now, let me preface the fact by saying that I'm obviously not the mental health expert on this podcast, and nor should I be. I'm just somebody who works with this stuff because I myself have been put through the ringer in my own way in losing my mom and my dad by the time I was 34. And that's basically the only reason that I run a site and uh, co-wrote a book entitled Modern Loss. This, This was not my goal in life. Either, just like it wasn't your goal in life to be trying to figure out how not to feel guilty in your very early 30s, um, having some happiness. So, your first question is how do I manage the grief about grief? And you say it seems like a paradox to you, but you obviously want to continue being self aware and really mindfully moving through your loss, which is really admirable because you're phrasing this in ways that I don't think I myself was capable of phrasing in the early days of my loss, even a year and a half into it as you are. So uh, you're doing something right by being a really highly self-aware individual and um, the people around you are really lucky because of that. When I was 30 years old, my mom died in a car accident and I did not have either the benefit or the torture of witnessing her waste away from a disease as you had the misfortune of doing with David. And I feel like we make these comparisons all the time about is it better to have time or for it to just be quick? And I think that's comparing apples to oranges because in the end, it all sucks no matter what. Um, That said, I understand what you're saying in the sense that living with intense grief is weirdly comforting, as painful as it is, 
I really held on to the really intense feelings of loss when my mom died for a very long time because it felt like that was a tangible part of her. It felt like if I woke up and my heart literally felt like it was aching, that in some way that meant that she was more present with me than if I woke up and I just felt like kind of fine. Um, of course, we know that that's not actually the case. It's like if we're feeling it intensely, that must mean that we love them intensely and they're still somewhat with us. And if we're feeling it less and less, um, then maybe it doesn't matter. I'm now 10 years down the line from my mom's death, and I don't have those intense feelings of of grief all the time, thank God, because I'd probably be driving myself clinically insane if I, there's, it's just like not a way that I could function on a day-to-day basis. And time really has lightened the pang, like the sharpness of of the grief that I feel. I do feel it in triggers. Um, Triggers are endless. They sneak attack you along the way and they can come at any point in time when you're living with loss. But Now that I don't live day in and day out with such a high intensity of feelings of grief, which are not just sadness, but for me and my own experience, they were anger, they were resentment, they were frustration, they were anxiety and guilt. Now that I don't have that so much, in a way, I actually can feel closer to my mom. Um, And I know that that in and of itself might sound, you talk about the paradox, uh, but for me, that's a bit of a paradox too. I feel like my brain is more freed up to with space so that memories of my mom can float to the surface that had no space. Like there was no way for them to bubble up in the early days because in the early days I was so hanging on to, to the intense feelings of loss because I was so scared that once those passed by, that would mean that I couldn't connect with my mom anymore. I couldn't connect with my dad. But in reality, all I was doing was, co- was connecting to grief. I wasn't connecting to the memory of them. I was connecting to the experience of losing them. And for me, that's been a completely different experience than the one that I'm having now, which is connecting to their lives. And so when you ask, like, how do I manage the grief about grief? Um, memories, the good memories, the memories of his life, they're not going to fade if you don't let them. And the more you allow yourself to remember the memories of his life, I can tell you, you're going to hold on to the feeling of closeness with him a lot longer than if you focus on holding on to the feelings of grief. But just based on my personal experience, it really does feel like you're actually at the beginning of the next stage, which is you're so aware of holding on to these intense feelings of grief and you're just so aware of them that maybe now you can take a step back, you can force yourself to kind of look at those feelings with more of a bird's eye view and shift your focus to his life to the memories, to when he was not only above ground, but when he was healthy, or just really great memories that you had when he wasn't healthy. Because I'm sure that within the whole mess of it all, there was laughter and there was love and there was still tenderness and and intimacy that was, were, was probably even more intense than it might have been had he not been sick. So I want to get to the next part of your question, which is basically, okay, now that you're aware that you feel closest to David when you're in kind of the deepest throes of your grief, um, 
not only are you aware of that, but it kind of sounds like you're ready to move on from that a little bit and want permission to move on. Well, I, as the non-therapist, and unabashedly giving you permission to move on from that because I think that David sounds like a pretty awesome guy. And I'm just going out on a limb here. And I'm going to say that I think he probably would want you to be living your life at the ripe age of 33, 32, however old you are. I think he probably wants you to be living a really good life. In fact, this is something that comes up a lot. I think darkness and light live together, that it's not just black or white. It's, you know, after you experience profound loss, it's one big shade of gray. And sometimes the shade of gray is a lot lighter than it is on other days. My advice to you for how to honor David's memory moving forward while not making it like an altar to him or focusing on 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 his death is think about like what was he like in life? Hold on to his life. Hold on to what his passions were. Hold on to how he made people feel. The way in which he was kind to people, the way in which he was thoughtful to people, what were his hobbies? What was he interested in? What can you do based on all of those things that might make you feel like you're honoring his memory? For for me, my mom was a docent at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, and she was a really beloved docent. She was one of those people who could just take art and take you on a tour and make you feel like everything made sense in her explanation. She just made it so layperson and so understandable and relatable. It was a real gift that she had. And so two years after she died, I was really scrambling for a way to feel like I was honoring her memory, but not doing it by like going to her gravesite because, you know, she wasn't there to appreciate it. And I certainly wasn't really happy doing it. It made me really sad to visit her there. So I came up with the idea of doing a memorial lecture at the museum in her honor. And I raised some money. I collected some donations from family and friends, and then I put some of my own money into it. And we had a night at the museum, and we hired one of her favorite lecturers on this like very specific art <laughs> and to give a lecture that evening. And we had a cocktail, and it was in her honor. It was the Shelby Rosenberg Memorial Lecture at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And all the leftover funds went to fund the docent fund and to pay for you know, professional development for docents. And it just felt so good because I could completely imagine my mom being there that night and actually having a blast and being totally into the topic of the lecture, even though I wasn't. It was like kind of like, eso- <laughs> it was kind of esoteric for me, but I knew she would have loved it. And it made me feel so close to her. And I could really see her laughing and smiling and clapping and saying, good job, Beck. Like, this was great. And I know that you can do the same for David. It can also just be in honoring who they were as a person and how they made people feel and trying to incorporate that in your own actions toward people. And I try and do that with my mom a lot. And I fail a lot because I think in general, she was a much better person than I am. Um, But she was so kind. And even 10 years after her death, People are still inspired by the person that she was, and they try and fold her personality and her values into their own lives. And I I know you can do it with David. I just know it. And in fact, I want you to get in touch with me (laughs) and let me know how you end up doing it, because I'm, I'm really excited to see what you come up with. 
So perfect. So perfect for to address that unique grieving process that each of us has to find for ourselves. Yeah. Oh, such such an incredible an incredible lady. Actually two two incredible ladies run Modern Loss. So she runs it with a woman named Gabrielle. And they just released a book that is not only a collection of essays from people who have lost loved ones, but also has these really amazing cartoons about how to deal with grief and like what to say, what not to say. Um, so yeah, that book is out now and I'll, I'll send you a copy, Mama. That's wonderful. I, I'm always, I'm just continually astonished at what kinds of wonderful resources are out there these days and how easily we can, you know, put our hands on them. And this is certainly one of those uh, on such an important topic. Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Rebecca, on behalf of Becca and Mama B, still being Becca for the rest of the episode. And I hopefully I won't forget. But I, I Don't probably, forget, Mom. I won't you forget. Have like no. five more minutes to not forget my name is Becca. Okay. <laughs> so, Mom, I know you've had lots of requests for our listeners at the end of the episodes recently. So I wanted to call out that I have a request for more amazing questions like this one. This was actually a bit of a collaboration. So we got this this letter in and um, since it was through email, I could talk a bit, uh, communicate a bit with David's mate and figure out the best way to position this question and find someone great to give a second opinion. He already has heard that second opinion. I sent it to him right away. So, um, and I, I'm going to send him your advice too, Mama. And I, I just, I want to make a call for like, even if you don't feel like your question is fully formed, I'm happy to hash it out with you. That's actually one of the many joys I have in making oh. this show is, is talking to oh. our listeners about how do we, how do we feature their questions and how do we feature what they're going through in a way that we can really get them helpful advice. Right, right. So that that's why I'm here. You can find me by going to advicefrom.mom slash request. Looking forward to hearing from you. Advice from Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It's produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley and we're Please to welcome Samantha Lan. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Anna Bader. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. The song underneath our question is by Scissors for Lefty. It's called Rebel in Motion. And our theme music is by my band, Love Jerks. We'd like to dedicate this episode in memory of David. How do you... How did you find her? <laughs> All of Rebecca's know each other. I'll just say that. It's a secret society of Rebecca's. We sometimes exclude the ones that spell their names with K's and H's. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest. It's just the double C, A, no H kind of club that we are part of. Okay. Yeah.